Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Bringing the Pain. Just in case you've forgotten or if you never knew, this is Cyrus Wayne and I'm coming to you right here, as always, for right here in Radio Fairfax. You can find me on the social media things, you know, those things on social media. You can find me, Twitter, Instagram, at CY underscore THA great. That side the great if you have some issues spelling. If you're old Tony Richardson and you can't spell, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to help you out there because I know that boy needed some help <laughs> on Friday night. Let me tell you something. I, don't, I didn't know that a four-letter word could really give anyone that bit of difficulty. Uh, are, are there that are there that many four-letter words that are hard to spell? If there is, you see, that's why I work with numbers because words, I, I don't do words, but I can spell jets. That's for daggone sure. So, yeah, Tony Richardson, this is shout out to you, buddy. It's CY underscore THA great, Cy the great. Man, I, I don't know if y'all know this, but the NFL draft was last week. So, a, a lot of things go on in the world of sports that irritate me, right? And if you listen to the show at any amount of time at all, I've gone through probably most of them. Today's show, I'm going to cover a few more, and I'm going to probably rehash some old territory, but that's what today's for, because in case you didn't know, there's, well, there's a draft, but outside the draft in the NBA playoffs, there's not a whole lot, go, there's not a whole lot going on, but the amount that's going on just really set me off. I didn't even realize how much it set me off until early this morning, but we'll get into that a little bit later on, but first and foremost, let's get to the topic du jour, and that is the fallout of the NFL draft. Let me start off by saying this. As I, I'm a football guy. I love football. Okay, I, I buy into this every year, the idea of a draft, how with the right pick, your, your entire franchise, the fortune of your franchise can turn around with the right pick. We saw this several years ago when Cam Newton was drafted by the Panthers first overall, when I said they overpaid. Turns out I was wrong. Well, this past year I was right, but this is after they made a Super Bowl appearance and went 15-1 during the regular season. right? And then, you know, they you know picked up some pieces of Luke Keekly along the way to build their team. If you're a team like Oakland where you have issues attracting big-name free agents until this year with Marshawn Lynch, you know, after you became good, you had to build through the draft. But... Let's be honest. For the most part, the draft the draft is an overhype event. That being said, I still watch it every year, and I still get into it. The one of the things I do hate about the draft, though, is the after draft analysis. You know how they do the the uh, post draft grades, and they do this for the NBA and the NFL, where they say, "Oh, this t- they, this team got better because they added this and this," and we really don't we we have no idea how good these kids really are. Yeah, right. Because, uh, you know, you know the all these guys who are highly touted, oh, who end up busting, or you get the Tom Brady's of the world who get drafted sixth overall. You're thinking, oh, it, it, it ain't nothing, and all of a sudden he's, by the time it's over, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live. Just saying, but there is a lot to unpack from this past weekend. Uh, first, I'm going to start off with the biggest surprise for me personally and everyone else. So one, I mock the idea of a mock draft and I mock it a lot. Let me tell you why, because no one really knows what, like how, <laughs> what these teams are thinking, 
right? You have guys like Mel Kiper, Todd Mechay, Todd Mechay, however you say his name, and writers from Sports Illustrated, CBS Sports, Bleacher Report, they do all these mock drafts, and they're saying, oh, this team needs this, so they're going to do this. This team made trade here, so they're going to do this. But no one really knows. And by the time it's all said and done, if you're lucky, you get eight or nine out of the first 32 picks correct, and your percentages go down from there. All this to set up. First pick went like everyone expected, Miles Garrett to the Cleveland Browns. Everyone was a little bit nervous at first because they're thinking, oh, they're going to go for Mitchell Drabisky. And if you know about the Browns' history with drafting anybody, especially quarterbacks with that first pick, you know that's never really the way to go, especially if you are the Browns. So they they pick Miles Garrett, of course. And then so the number two pick comes up. The 49ers, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Everyone's going, going, and then you start hearing rumors. Just, oh, what's going on? What's going on? You hear all of that. And then all of a sudden, bam, breaking news. The Bears traded up to the four, like, to get to the number two pick for the 49ers. And then, oh, like the Jan and everyone on the text machine. Oh, yeah, of course, you know we were we were going back and forth. Jan, you remember him from last week? We were going, and the, and the normal uh, group text guys, we're, we're going back and forth. And so, Jan, at this point, we're saying, okay, then Solomon Thomas is going off the board. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a done deal because he was the best player left. No! To everybody's surprise, they picked up Mitchell Trubisky out of UNC. You know, the University of North Carolina at Cheater Hill. And and everybody goes nuts. Even I went nuts. I'm sitting there minding my business. I have the draft on in the background. I'm doing, you know, I'm actually doing some work because, you know, I work, you know, but we're very busy at work. So I, I have to take work home at this time of the year. And I hear Mitchell Trubisky's name getting called and I go, what just happened? In a move to me that makes very little sense. I'm just not for drafting a guy, no matter how slightly above average he looks, who only played one season of big time college ball. You, you can draft on potential, perhaps, but that high, when you give up that much to trade up one spot to get him, I, I mean, that, that's abs- that's absolutely insane. I'm going to go on record to tell you that this is an absolutely crazy pick. You don't draft a guy that high to have him sit, which is what everyone's anticipating he's going to do. He's going to sit. Be- <laughs> a funny thing, before I even get continue my analysis, I have to get this out of the way. I find th- the idea that a UNC quarterback has to sit behind a former NC State quarterback, Mike Glennon, who's the starter at, at Chicago. The fact that a UNC quarterback has to sit behind him, you, you know, I personally love that. But I hated the pick. And not as much as Mike Glennon hated it, who went on record later saying that he felt cheated on. Well, dude, one, it's the NFL. Things happen. However, I do feel for him in this regard. <clears throat> he was invited to the Bears draft party, the first round draft party. He was invited by the Bears. Now, say what you want to about uh, the NFL and how competitive the NFL is. We all know how competitive the NFL is and how competitive certain jobs and certain industries are. You get invited by your employer to a party where they're getting people, where they're going to get you some help. They they wind you and dine you, say, hey, come play with us. We're going to give you a chance to start. We're going to give you this. Now we're going to give you some weapons, right? We're going to build this team around you. And then all, they bring you all the way out this, make a big show of it to draft your replacement, <laughs> which is essentially what happened. So 
personally, I feel a little salty about that, too. I'm just saying. But after that, the rest of the draft went kind of sort of the way you would expect. Uh, Leonard Fournette goes to the Jags, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Jamal Adams, to be the best DB in the draft, he goes to the Jets. And we, now, as good as Jamal Adams is, does he really make the Jets better? I'm not entirely sure. Yes, he shores up that defense who, uh, in, in the same division with Tom Brady, you do need a defense. And that's how the Jets have kind of made their moniker over the years. Uh, <clears throat> so that helped them. But if anyone who's watched the Jets the past couple of years, as questionable as their defense is sometimes, you know their defense is not really the problem. But to each their own, right? I know the Tennessee Titans gotten better with the addition of Corey Davis. I, I, I like that. Now, this is going to be for, for not really a make or break year for Marcus Mariota because until he's gotten better throwing downfield, I'll give him that much credit. He's gotten away from the, you know, just going to play action. I'm just going to throw a, a short seam slant route and hope the receiver breaks it. But adding but adding Corey Davis, yes, who sometimes has the, uh, the case of the drops. But, eh happens in an offense where last year Delaney Walker was your most consistent producer on that offense you can't go wrong through the Titans that that's great uh, Christian McCaffrey went to the Panthers more <laughs> more on that after after the upcoming break but I just wanted to go down I just want to go down to this so <clears throat> we talked about it we touched on it a little bit briefly about um Jerron Conley, who was uh, who was accused of sexual assault prior to the draft, and the idea that it may hurt his draft status, and it may have. Who knows? He's he dropped all the way down to twenty fourth when he was projected to be more of a middle of the round middle of the round pick, but he's still getting guaranteed. He's still getting getting quite a bit of money, and that whole deal is being played out. But. For the Oakland Raiders, I love that pick because I, I thought he was very talented. I was hope, kind of sort of hoping he would fall to the Cowboys, if not for you know that news, because as, as a talented player as I think he is, the, the Cowboys with the history that Jerry Jones and this franchise has, I'm not quite sure if we can really afford to t- <laughs> to take an, an, you know any type of thing like this going on, whether or not. He did whether or not he's found innocent or guilty in the long run, it doesn't matter. You know how sports media, the media media is and the fans, especially when it comes to the Cowboys. So for that reason, I was glad we stayed away. Speaking of glad to stay away, we didn't get to this a whole lot, but Jabril Peppers. Oh, when the Browns picked when the Browns picked him at 25, I thought it was a very good pick for the Browns. Not <laughs> for whoa, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down. Relax. Because he does everything on defense, and if you know the Browns, the Browns need help with everything. Now, here's why I'm glad he went to the Browns, because it's just such a, a fitting pick for who they are. I just don't think he's that good. I saw, I had a chance to see him play a few times on television. I didn't actually go to Michigan to watch him. I don't really watch. I don't really follow Big Twelve football enough for me. Oh, sorry, Big Ten football. Yeah, they actually play defense. The Big Twelve doesn't. That's the big. That's the big difference. To go up and watch him play live, that's just absolutely insane. But when I watched him at Michigan, 
I said, okay, he's a good player. I he's he clearly a, a division one talent, but I just don't see as him as first round potential. Especially considering this. He was drafted as a safety, as a defensive back. He played a vast majority of his snaps at linebacker at Michigan. But he's drafted as a safety. So he's probably got to cut a little weight. Uh, he's worked on his speed. He has got very good speed, good fundamentals. But I'm not quite sure he's going to be able to adapt to the NFL game the way that he should. And when you're floating between positions like that, you need to be at that level against that competition. I need to be better at all of them. Like He's a guy that does a lot of things good. I just don't think he can excel at any one thing, which if you want to make a lasting career in the NFL, especially as a first overall draft pick, a first round draft pick, you're going to need to be great at something. I don't see... Jabril Peppers being great at anything. I'm just going to be flat out. I personally don't see it. Tack McKinley going to the going to the Falcons. Now, here's why I like that pick. Because if you watch the Super Bowl, you know they had issues trying to get to Tom Brady. More so, they had issues with the offense coordinator uh, not knowing how to call the game being up 25 points. But here's why. So he has a very interesting story. I'll Google it. I don't want to go. I don't want to go too much into it. But he did lose his grandmother several years ago, and he made a promise to go, you know, to be, you know, to go to school and then be a first round pick in the NFL. And he did. So he's being drafted, and he's holding up the picture of his grandmother, uh, completely emotional, <laughs> using some language he probably shouldn't have at that moment. But I can't blame him for doing it. I'd probably be just as emotional. But me personally, I'm I'm, I'm kind of a softy. I do like guys like who work that hard to achieve their dream. I, I like seeing that. I like you know people who work hard to achieve their dreams. I, again, I'm a little bit of a softy. But from a football perspective, that's also a, a solid pick. Now, Cyrus, I, I know you're probably I know you're probably out there saying to everybody that, well, I'm up here just completely go, you know, just going nuts over these draft picks, right? You know, I don't have a whole lot of bad things to say about them. And that's only because I haven't gotten around to the Chiefs yet. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, when you talk about your winners and losers, I don't I really don't care what anybody says. The Chiefs going for Patrick Mahomes, not only going for him in the first round, forget even just picking him in the first round, but trading up all the way up to get him in the first round is absolutely insane. It's even worse than picking Jabril Peppers. It is absolutely worse. I I, I don't even know what you would do. It, I'm at a loss for it. Just how, who is doing this? Yes, I understand, you know, if you have Alex Smith as a quarterback, any quarterback who throws more than seven yards down the field, you just want to go, let's get this kid, let's get this kid, let's get this kid. Because, you know, anything beyond seven yards for Alex Smith is is, is a no-go zone. Oh, that that's dangerous territory. You just don't go there. But Patrick McHolmes, I'm sorry, any quarterback that comes out of that air rate system that they love to play in the Big 12, just no. Absolutely not. No. I don't care how strong his arm is. I don't care what all these intangibles you say. I struggle to find any quarterback, too many, to come out of that system, especially nowadays, and be successful. 
Geno Smith came out of the system. And if I had <laughs> if I had this going on back then, you would have heard me say, this this is terrible. This guy is no, not going to be good. He's mobile. Yes. Now, you're going to tell me he's got a stronger arm than Geno did. Yeah, that's true. But he's still coming out, not only out of the air raid system, but he's coming out of the Big 12, where, as I mentioned just not even 10 minutes ago, they don't play a lick of defense. And you're going in the same division as Oakland, as Denver. And you're going to pick a quarterback who had no, had absolutely no competition as far as on the defensive side of the football in a pass-happy, quarterback-friendly offense. That's, and you're going to trade all the way up to get him. Are you stupid? That's just not. No, that makes no bit of sense whatsoever. None. None. In case you didn't hear me the first several times, that makes no bit of sense. And of course, I can't forget my boys. Now, <laughs> I really wanted Tredavious White, the corner out of LSU. Mainly because I thought by the time we he you know we we came down that he would have been like the, the best available one left until of course uh, the Bills you know after when they traded with the aforementioned Chiefs to go down and they drafted him like right before the Cowboys I became very upset very very upset so I ended up getting Taco Child in the defensive end out of Michigan and for the pick I'm like meh. Man, yes, we need to. Like, yes, we need to ad- address def- like the defensive end um, position. Absolutely. However, the way Rod Melinelli, Rod Mel- Marinelli, the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys, the way he runs his system, uh, def- defensive linemen tend to overachieve. So we could have waited to to still in. There would have still been quality defensive linemen left that would have gone to our scheme. I really felt. That we needed to address the cornerback position very, early, very first, but that's what. But I also said that we shouldn't have drafted Travis Frederick the first round of several years ago. I also said that, so that's why I'm here talking to you guys and not drafted players. Speaking of drafted players, one last note about the, the my absolute favorite moment of the draft. Anyone who listens to the show who knows me knows exactly where I'm going with this. The GOAT, the legend, Drew Pearson, who a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I can't remember if I made this case uh, months ago. I can't remember if I did or not. If I didn't, I absolutely meant to. How Drew Pearson should be in the Hall of Fame. And that is not my cowboy bias in play there. If you look at his, not only at his career, but if you look at his career when it was going, when it was going through, when he was playing, uh, compared to some of his peers, especially you know Lynn Swan, who's in the Hall of Fame, his numbers completely destroy Lynn Swan. The only reason why Lynn Swan's in the Hall of Fame is because they, like, the Steelers had that legendary defense back in the day. That is it. <laughs> he didn't get on individual merit. Drew Pearson blew him away, but Drew Pearson just come coming up there, really owning the moment to announce a second round pick. A second round pick that I love, by the way, but. That'll be for another when I do my complete draft breakdown. Well, when I say draft breakdown, I mean Cowboys breakdown, where he is just soaking up the hate from the Philadelphia crowd because that's what the Philadelphia crowd does. They just hit you with that hate, 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 hate. 
And he's going to, first of all, he thanks them for allowing him to have a career in the NFL. I'm sitting there, I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm all in. I don't even care who we pick at this point. I go, yeah, g- come on, yes. That, and I just, I was expecting it to end right there and him to go to pick, but no, he goes on. If, <laughs> if you haven't seen this yet, I am doing no justice trying to explain this, but understand he not only announces a solid pick for the Dallas Cowboys, but he trolls the entire city of Philadelphia while doing so. In just a work of art, as a professional wrestling fan, that was probably one of the best heel bad guy promos, you know, when they talk. One of the best heel promos I have heard in a while. <laughs> that he nailed it. It was great. Go on your social media, go on YouTube, find it. I I can't really do justice just explaining it. <clears throat> and if I didn't run into any rights issues, I think this falls into fair use, but I'm pretty sure it's out of bounds for me to play the clip. So I'm not going to because, you, you know, lawsuits. I, I don't want to deal with any of that. Just, just trust me, go online. <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll have it on Twitter somewhere. J- just go ahead, find it. It is absolutely amazing. Coming up after the break, the Clippers out of the playoffs. What? And how one guy is getting all the blame but probably shouldn't. Bring the pain, Cyrus Wayne, back after this. Welcome back to Bringing the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. Now, so I am actually ha- very happy about this. So if you listen to the show, you know I am a Lakers fan. I, I love the Lakers. The fact that we've struggled the past several seasons, in large part to keeping the age the ageful, timeful, cap-sucking Glory hogging, ball hogging Kobe Bryant longer than we probably needed to, and it just completely forsaken the future of the franchise just to appease him has completely hurt us. The fact that the that other team in LA hasn't really taking the taking the full reins and doing what they really should be doing at this point that makes me happy. It really does. However, here's why I'm a little bit upset is because one guy is taking the fall with them. And as a matter of fact, not even taking the fall with them. He's taking the fall worse than the rest of the team is. And that is one Chris Paul. Now, here's the thing. Anyone who knows a lick about basketball will tell you, even at 31 years old, Chris Paul is one of the best point guards in the league. Hands down. It, it's not even a question. And the reason I, I the reason I really love Chris Paul is because he is a true point guard. He's the floor general. He scores. He he assists. And oh my goodness, he play he plays tough, hard nosed defense. He gets in there and gets steals. And he, he's a legitimate star. As a matter of fact, I am still one of the things I'm still very salty about to this day is when David Stern, the former commissioner in the of the NBA, who at that time owned the New Orleans, I think they were still the Hornets, how he blocked a trade that would have sent Chris Paul to the Lakers and would have at least helped soften the blow when that dynasty came to an end because we would have still had Chris Paul there. And David Stern blocked it, and the rest of the say is history. We went down. He went in and ended up going to the Clippers, and, well, they are still kind of sort of where they are. And it's it's unfortunate. So we talk all we talk all the time about how these 
things are team sports, right? In the NFL, oh, you, you know, no one's above the team. Uh, everyone wins and loses. We win and lose as a team. In basketball, we, we do that except if it's a guy that we love to crush. And Chris Paul is one of those guys. He He's 30, again, he's 31 years old. He's going to go down as one of the best point guards of this era if and really crashing the top 10 if you really look at all time. If you look at his skill and what he does, the only the thing that's going to knock him is lack of playoff success. To which a lot of it is not really his fault because we again we talk one of the things we talk about is in basketball how one player disproportionately controls an outcome. How are we forget that at any given time there are four other people on the floor with that one guy? We you know we love this uh, romantic. We love this history, this revisionist history, where we romanticize the exploits of Michael Jeffrey Jordan and how he just you know put put a team on his back and went to the promised land and, and took them and. Anyone who was around during that time knows, no, 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 that wasn't the case. You you understand before Jordan won those rings, y'all were crushing him like LeBron James. Y'all realize that? How by himself he couldn't do anything? As a matter of fact, one of the uh, great exploits of Michael Jordan, the 60, what what was it? The 60, the 63-point game against the Celtics. In this revisionist history, we love to forget that the Bulls lost. So this whole idea that one guy can do this for you, we would have think would have been debunked over and over and over again and has been debunked over and over and over again. But it still continues to pop up like a very bad urban legend or one of those old wives tales, which has been debunked by science and medicine but still continues to exist. Going back to Chris Paul, here's how this hurts him. And I and I personally don't understand it. You got Blake Griffin, you have DeAndre Jordan, who the Clippers paid a fortune to keep, who still, for the life of him, for whatever reason, cannot shoot free throws. These guys get the benefit of the doubt. Everything goes on Chris Paul, and it makes absolutely no sense. Now, I personally thought the Clippers were going to pull this out. <laughs> I, I I did. I thought they're going. I thought they're going to pull it out. Uh, clearly, I was wrong. Uh, Brandon, I, I guess I owe you one for that one, I, I suppose. Yeah. But it, the fact that he's getting like all, getting crushed everywhere by all these pundits, by all these analysts is absolutely absurd. Game, game, think about it. Game one, 25, 7, 11 uh, points, rebounds, assists, by the way. Game two, 21, 21, 2, 10. Game three, 34, 6, 10, game 4, 27, 9, 12, game 5, 28, 4, 9, game 6, 29, 3, 8, game 7, 13, 4, and 9. Now, game 7, you can you can make the argument that his performance dropped off, but I ask you, where was everybody else? DeAndre had 24, Jamal Coffer had 12, 20, Chris Paul had 13. 13 points, he was the third leading scorer with DeAndre leading the, leading the charge. 
Now, as talented as a, as DeAndre is, he's very talented. Uh, when he's leaving your when he's leaving leading your team and scoring in a big game like that, you're you're in trouble. You are in app. You are in trouble. I'm sorry. I'm, I hate to break it to you, but you are in trouble. Oh, by by the way, and we also are completely clowning on Chris Paul because, well, I don't know, Blake Griffin wasn't playing. You know, a guy who can, who also at this point can't stay healthy. And, of course, it's it's all Chris Paul's fault because he is the superstar. We're all going to put it on him. Just just stop it, okay? Yes, this series caught me by surprise, but anyone putting this solely on Chris Paul and really hurting and really tagging this to his legacy is just absolutely insane. Legacy. Let let me talk to you about legacy very, very quickly. I – Post, I tweeted out over the weekend, uh, some point over the weekend or last week, how the, the term class is overused in the context of professional sports or any type of sports where big money is involved. Legacy is another one of those words that we always talk about, like how uh, uh, the legacy of a player when he's still playing and how like, one championship could all, all of a sudden just changes everything. Even though they were, I, I want you. I, I really want you to consider this. Uh, Brett, Brett Favre. Take Brett Favre for example. How will we look at Brett Favre? Had he not won that Super Bowl back in 1996, had the Packers not got through and won that Super Bowl back in '96, how will we look at Brett Favre? He's the exact same player with or without that ring, but we look at him completely different. He's got that ring, which, oh by the way, he wasn't even the best player in that game. But all, but you know, we're willing to give him a pass. And Chris Paul, and here's why I bring that up, because Chris Paul, no matter if he gets a championship or not, he's going to be the same player. He's going to be easily, right now, one of the top five point guards in the league, hands down. And by the time he's done, could be top, could be top 10 by the time he's done. But if he doesn't get in a situation where that is conducive for him winning, I, name, give, me, give me anyone he played with in New Orleans. That you can say, wow, he should have definitely won with this guy. I can't think of one. I really can't. So it's 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 a shame because I say this, knowing when he retires, if he doesn't have a ring, like we're going to forget just how amazing Chris Paul is as a player. We're going to forget, and it's just not just not right. Not right at all. Coming up next, after this break, what got me so fired up this morning? Well, a lot of things did, but one thing in particular. Bring the Pain, Cyrus Wayne, back after this break. Welcome back to Bring the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne coming to you from Radio Fairfax. The number is 703-560-8255. Once again, that is 703-560-8255. And once again, you call this number. I'm not going to be here to answer. One of these days, I'm going to be here live in studio. One of these days, today is just not the day. But however, if you want to get at me, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at CY underscore T-H-A great. Uh, Tony Richard again. That's for, this is for you. That's Cy underscore the great, not the but the. J- just help you out, Tony. You know I always got, I always got your back, right? I always got your back. Oh, also fun fact about Tony Richardson. Fun fact, uh, he was 
actually a member of the Dallas Cowboys practice practice squad back in 1994. Bet y'all didn't know that. No, I really n- none of y'all do that. Qu- quit lying. None of y'all do that. Yeah, he, he's a he's a former cowboy technically, but yeah, no no one ever no one remembers that. No one no one does. No one does. So uh, this is being recorded uh, on March second, Tuesday, March second. So the reason I'm pointing out this day in particular is because when the sun rose on the east coast of the United States of America on May 2nd, 2017, Jim, Har- J- Jim Harbaugh was the highest paid coach in college football. And by the time the sun sets tonight, Nick Saban will once again be the highest paid football coach in college football. It's kind of redundant, but whatever. So, uh, Nick Saban agreed to a three-year extension with uh, with the Alabama um, by a vote by the Alabama Board of Trustees, in which he will receive a four million dollars signing bonus, which may, and make uh, six point seven like six point seven million dollars in salary this year, and also he gets another four hundred like four hundred grand for completing the season. So for this year, he's lined up to make eleven point one million dollars, like this year. And then, you know, like there's some other structural things where he gets all this money up front this year and then it it drops down. And that's not really important. The point is, you know, Nick Saban has to be the highest paid coach in college football. Now, that's not why I'm mad. Uh, Get your, uh, uh, you know, you listen to me. I'm all about get your money. Get your money. Here's why I'm mad. You have college coaches. Football coaches, it, football coaches making multi millions of dollars in salary and bonuses, but we continue to get angry and make excuses when anyone brings up just the idea of paying the players. But we are willing to turn a blind eye to these coaches making an absurd amount of money. In a quote-unquote amateur sport. Uh, I don't know how all of you define amateurism. I don't define amateurism by a coach making millions of dollars. That's a business. When you're saying that an individual is so important to any type of organization to be compensated $11 million, you're not running... You're not running an amateur operation. It is professionals all get out and y'all just playing. It, it, it is absolutely insane. Let, let me tell you how much let me, you know how much money is floating around in college football. I I talked about this several like several weeks ago. I'm not going to get too much into it, but la, but the, early this week, the Mich- the Michigan Wolverines, or still this week actually, uh, are holding spring pra- like practice in Rome. Why? Because they can. There's no no real reason. They're patching it as a cultural experience, whatever. It's this Jim Harbaugh just basically giving a big F you to everybody and just go, taking his team to, to Rome for football practice. Because he can, because the Mich- Michigan Wolverines, they are loaded with money now. They're printing money. Alabama is printing money. Not only is Nick Saban getting all this money, get, getting $11 million this year, his house is paid for. By the university and by the, I'm sorry, no, no, not the university. Let me get this right. By the boosters. 
by the people behind the university. They're they paid his mortgage. They're paying his mortgage. He doesn't the house he's staying in, he doesn't even have to pay for. But yet a kid wants to decide to make some money on the side by like writing like by signing autographs for twenty bucks. All of a sudden, it's an investigation. If a coach for if his youth league coach decides, oh, I you know I want to help take care of him and give him a little cash, boom, another that's a violation. If they so much get a meal, a questionable free meal from anybody that's remotely not even shady, just remotely kind of out of whack, boom, that's an investigation. But you're allowing coaches to have their homes paid for by people associated with these institutions. And you're going to be quick to throw in somebody's face, well, these kids are getting a scholarship. Okay, give the coaches a scholarship. Or give them a salary that's in line with any other state employee of Alabama. How about that? I, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> this is ridiculous, and we, we're st- and everybody, and th- th- most of them are, and really, <laughs> let's let's call it spade a spade. You look at them, they're like they're they all fit a certain profile of the ones who want to keep everything the way it is. Okay, quick history lesson for all of you. If if in case you're new, in case you're new to this party, so the rules of quote unquote amateurism in college athletics started mainly because the NCAA did not want to pay insurance for any player who any players who got hurt because there was some there was some litigation back in the 40s and 50s of players getting hurt and they didn't want to um, pay insane insurance. So they said okay that they're, they're, they're amateur at, you know, athletes. Which, at the time, despite the shady reason for doing so, made sense because there wasn't any money in in the sports like football and basketball because television wasn't really a big deal then because only 50 people in the country had it. So you weren't going to watch these games. But then the 80s came around and everyone started getting television. Then all these, and then you had all these channels just start, just start popping out of nowhere. And guess what? They need content to fill. And they will, and they were willing to open up the pockets for such content, and that's where the money in college athletics started to like start really started take off. And over the past fifteen years, it just got absolutely insane. Let me tell you how insane the money has gotten. So the guy who made the, these rules, who put these rules in place, has even came out and admitted, "Hey, you know, these are some archaic rules. They needs to be, it needs to be changed." But yet you have everyone, a lot of people out there. Who was ready to fight tooth and nail to keep it the way keep it the way it is to make sure all the money flows up but not down? What, what, what we're what we're telling what we're telling people what we're telling people is this: this guy who's not putting his body on the line, who's not out there running these drills, who's not being not being like thrown around by three hundred pound like men, forget kids, men by three hundred pound men out there on a hot Saturday in a hot Saturday in September, that he's worth six million dollars, but you're worth the scholarship. Even though we're baking all this money off of you, you're getting the scholarship, and that's it. And people are are throwing around this whole oh like they get a scholarship, at, you know they're throwing that around as if. Oh, scholarship and cash are mutually exclusive. How th- there is no way that a not if if I'm a if I'm a player if I'm bringing a, if I'm bringing this much notoriety to the school, not only am I able to get a scholarship, but hey, I'm, I should be able to get get, get some else too. I mean, are we like do we limit 
like the at, academic scholarship student from, from any money making opportunities? No, we don't. Because that's an American. Or so, you know, in every other line of anything, that's how it works, except college athletics. And, and yet we still have people willing to fight that battle. It's like, nope. Everybody, the school, the athletic director, the head coach, the strength coach, the strength coach is able to get all this money. But you, the, the, the kid actually uh, throwing his body around, risking like permanent, you know, you know, life, limb, harm. You're, you're a you're getting free classes. But no cash. Yeah, free classes don't pay for food. I'm just saying. Ch- change the rule. Stop it. Which is the reason why I was so thrilled when Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette said, you know what? We're, we're going to be top 10 draft picks. And we're in one of the more physically demanding positions on the field with, with the most risk for injury. Uh, look here. We have a chance to set our families, ourselves, for a long time, for life, if, if we're smart about it. I'm not going to risk it playing in a game that means absolutely nothing. That's why I loved it. And I'm pretty sure if given the opportunity, Jake Butt would have probably done the same thing. So Jake Butt, uh, the tight the tight end out of Michigan, he played in his bowl game because, well, the, you know, that's what you do. And, and tore his ACL. But because he was smart, <laughs> I right, see what I did there. That that was that that, that was by accident. But but he was smart. He, he took out an insurance policy. I, I don't know who underwrote this or how this even worked. But he took out a, a policy that could have paid him up to two million dollars, depending on where his like where his like anywhere past the third round he he dropped. Which what, oh my goodness that's 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 freaking genius. But look here. The, the, we should we should learn with uh, Jalen Smith last year that if you're a lock to again we're we're not talking about you know a little bit of money here we're talking about life a life changing amount of money if you're a lock to get this and all you have to do is not get hurt why are you putting yourself in a position to get hurt for something absolutely foolish and that is playing in a meaningless game but. You, you know, and this is what, and one of the reasons I was getting hot again because I got into it this morning. You know, with you know people with, with people is this this idea of oh you got to sacrifice for the team you got you got to be a team player you're letting your team down. Well, in ten years from now, like when you go out there and you tear your Achilles in your ACL and you're just done, and yeah, yeah you may have a degree, so you finish a degree, but. Even people with degrees in, in education, they can fall on pretty tough financial times. I want those teammates to be there to help pay their bills and to, and to do all this stuff that you could have easily done yourself if you were just, uh, I don't know, not played. You, you know, and I'm going to be the first one to tell you. Sometimes, yeah, this all sounds good when, you know, you're just playing through high school, like middle school, peewee youth league where all you you're just playing just be playing like this whole like sacrifice for the team team player all this other stuff but when you're talking about you you talk about making a big time financial decision that could that it can impact the trajectory the economic trajectory of you and your family and you're and you're just risking it for absolutely nothing just like to appease this 
uh, this idea that was been force fed to you since you were a kid because well you know they really have nothing else better to do you are an absolute fool so and again this only really applies to maybe two percent of college athletes just two percent of football players but I'm just saying, if, if that was me out there, if that was Cyrus out there playing for NC State, and if, and if it wasn't a national championship game, but it was the poinsettia bowl, and I'm a second-round like lock pick, <laughs> y'all can miss me with that. I'm out. I, I, ain't, I ain't playing. Forget about it. I love NC State. I would have loved my teammates, but you know, I, I, like the, I, I love the idea of setting myself up and my family up for my life. I, I love that idea even more. And sometimes you you got you got to look out. For, sometimes you got to take care of yourself. Coming up after the quick break, Boston. Come on, bringing the pain, Cyrus Wayne. Back after this, welcome back to bringing the pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. I, I hate to close the show on this, but I, I've kind of I dug myself into a hole, you know, ra- ra- railing against the the shamaturism that is NCAA, that is the NCAA and our athletic institutions. Uh, but I, I, I need to talk about this, and some of y'all are going to be made very uncomfortable. So, anyone, any who's been paying any type paid any type of attention, not just to the sports landscape, but to the landscape period of the country. You, you know, like we're in some we're some we're in some crazy times right now, and the, first of all, we're, it's just not right now. It's been ever. It's been like this forever. Just now, for for whatever reason, decide to pay attention to this, and the world of sports is not excluded, especially in one area in particular, who is in absolute denial about where they are currently and where they have been historically, and that is the and that is good old New England, the city of Boston. Anyone who knows anything about Boston knows they have a little bit of a history with certain groups of people. And that history has repeated itself over the weekend. So um, on Monday, as a matter of fact, on Monday, Adam Jones, the center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, was heckled by the fans, which is nothing new. You know, ball players get heckled, except the, the, the heckling fans went completely racial against Adam Jones, who is African-American, in case y'all haven't figured that out just quite yet. And this is causing quite a bit of a stir. And, you know, you have, you know, people in Boston who are like, oh, you know, that doesn't represent Boston. That doesn't represent Boston. That's not us. And we're getting stories left and right about what was being said and, like, who was saying it and how many people got thrown out for, for doing all this, for doing all this. And everyone who again who's familiar with Boston in their history is not at all surprised CC Smathy came out early today and said um well there right now there there's 64 African American major league players 64 and he said hey look here all of us know when we go to Boston that that's what happens when you go to Boston and in Boston folks oh they feel some kind of way and uh, but but Monty Jones is being a personality. Like he talks about it all the time, and people from Boston hate him for it. But it, it, it like it, I, I hate look here. As I said, some of y'all could be uncomfortable. There there is nuggets of truth in there. 
in hockey, you had the playoff reactions to P.K. Subban, uh, you know, um, hitting game, uh, a game-winning goal against the Bruins, uh, how some of those Boston fans reacted to that. You have a couple years before that. That was in 2014. Back in 2012, they reacted the exact same way when Joel Ward for the Washington Capitals, you know, made a game-winning a goal in Boston in a, in a game seven to, to, knock them, like, to knock them out of the playoffs and the Boston fans, some Boston fans' reaction to that, and that's that, that's more that's more recent history, okay? And then you have in the NBA where uh, Gordon Hayward, there was rumors of Gordon Hayward coming to Boston and replay and basically taking Jay Crowder's job. Uh, Gordon Hayward, if you if you're new to this program, is uh, is a Caucasian and. Uh, Jay Crowder is African American, in case you haven't noticed, and how like r- frankly disrespectful that whole entire situation was for like for Jay, and how Boston, uh, well, uh, uh, while I'm here now, yeah, yeah like and how like, no, don't get me wrong, Gordon Hayward's a he's a great he's an awesome player, he's a great talent, but Jay but Jay Crowder ain't no slouch either, and like again, Boston in their history, you you put those together, it's it's not a good look. Uh, Bill Russell has gone on record saying that uh, Boston is a flea market for racism. And uh, going even further back into their sports history, the Boston Red Sox were the last team in Major League Baseball to integrate. As a matter of fact, fun fact for those of you who didn't know, the Boston Red Sox did pass up on on an opportunity to sign Jackie Robinson back in 1945. Just letting you, a little fun fact for y'all there too. So, So with Boston... They are they're in denial about the history and kind of where they are, but when certain instances like these come up, and when you have current ML, uh, major league players saying, "Oh, this is nothing new. This is more common than you think," yeah, you you have a problem. Even even yes yes it, yes it is a smaller percentage of the population, but until that majority really like really comes in and says, Hey, no, we're not going to have this. It really make it known and start policing themselves in that situation. It ain't going nowhere. That stigma is going to stay with you for a while. Boston, whether you like it or not. Well, sorry, sorry to hate the end of the show on that, but I'm running out of time. You can find me Twitter, Instagram at C Y underscore T H a great. One more time for you, Mr. Tony Richardson. That's Cy underscore the great C Y underscore T T H a great. And one last note, uh, look here. Yes. I know that the Spurs were blown out by the, the Rockets in game one of one of the semifinal series, but everyone chill. The Spurs did, you know, beat the, them in the season series three, one, just relax, okay. I'm I'm just letting you know. But Houston can win. But I'm just telling you, the Spurs just they're not done yet. Bring the pain, Cyrus Wayne. I will see y'all, or hear y'all, or talk to y'all next week. <laughs>